Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. I would like to apologize on behalf of both of us, because of course, Hygov doesn't apologize, but I can apologize twice as hard, because I'm twice as large. Yeah, apologize for the uh, lack of a story time with Blake and Hygov for the past couple of months. Uh, A couple of things happened, I'm pretty sure I went to space and had my paralysis healed. I had to visit the underworld to get back my dead wife. Mm. Yeah, you need her. She's super... uh, She can lift things on top shelves. Yeah, she's super important to you. But we're back! With a brand new attack. Why do you gotta say you went to space? I was gonna wait for you to finish and then say I went to Namek. I'm like, oh, now it's a derivative. It was a Professor X reference, because I'm so bald. Was it? He was pretty bald. Yes, but Professor X isn't. Comics Professor X is. Mm. He didn't have to Patrick have Stewart something is... bad happen to him to lose his hair. Patrick Stewart is also pretty bald. <laughs> yes, but he's not Professor X anymore now, is he? The Instead, hell he isn't. It's, um, it's, I didn't see First Class. It's both of them now. In X-Men First Class, the future has Patrick Stewart as Professor X, and the present has that guy from First Class as Professor X. Don't we live in the present? I know, right? So it's that guy. The point is that that actor is supposed to grow up to somehow become Patrick Stewart. I bet you they hang a lampshade on it, too. And they're like, what happened there? And he's like, oh, I had plastic surgery and got hit by a bus. (laughs) As I understand... uh, That's what they did for Mark Hamill. Uh, As I understand, Professor X officiated Magneto's wedding. I would have loved to be there. Like Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are besties. Somebody saw it as, can you believe that Jean-Luc Picard officiated Gandalf's wedding? I'm like, hold on. <laughs> That's too many degrees of Kevin Bacon here. We can get it down to one. They've been in a movie together. I always love these stories of, of famous people that like like being best friends for life in real life. Like um, Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau. When Walter Matthau died, Jack Lemon died like a month later. Like an old married couple. I guess that's different from a director who has friends. Mm. Like how if um, Tim Burton is doing a thing, Johnny Depp is also doing a thing. And probably sleeping with Tim Burton's wife while Tim Burton watches. Or, um, what was the other Helen one? Joss Whedon. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Look, man. She is I'm not terrible so in a bunch of movies. Is she terrible? I hated her in Sweeney Todd. I believe you. That's not an answer. <laughs> I don't know if she was good in anything else. I just remember how terrible she was. You didn't see her in Harry Potter? Was she in Harry Potter? Was that oh, yeah. I guess she was okay. functional in Harry Potter. Well, her character was kind of... Her breadth of her breadth of character is about the same as Johnny Depp's. Hang on now. Johnny got to play both a darkly quirky guy with a heart of gold and a darkly quirky uh, lizard. lizard with a heart of gold. <laughs> Blake and I read the same Cracked article. <laughs> I watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's what put bon- Johnny Depp over for me. Yeah, I haven't seen that one on 92. That would probably open up the galaxy of Johnny Depp. Watching the, that movie is actually like being on a drug. That's the most interesting thing about it. My roommate and I watched it in college. And when it was over, we couldn't like stand up straight. Our sense of balance was actually like destroyed by watching the movie for a number of hours. We were thinking, man, what? that was a good drug movie that it actually is like... You tie from the movie. Yeah. That's great. You internalize a lot of bad motor decisions based on media you consume. Uh, remember that time you did a marathon play of Grand Theft Auto and then got in a car? Oh yeah, that was a good one. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we played me, me and the same guy, actually. 
former roommate Josh. But anyway, yeah, we played Grand Theft Auto for probably about 18, 19 hours. And then we got in the car. All overnight. Well, then we were like, we're hungry. We'd go to the fridge. Oh, wow, we have as much stuff in the fridge as a person who plays Grand Theft Auto for 18 to 19 hours. We were all a lot younger in the past. <laughs> let's go to uh, Let's go to McDonald's. That seems like an appropriate decision. And then we got into the car and looked at each other and looked back out and said, this is a bad idea. I have a super urge to just drive right over this curb. <laughs> well, at least your first instinct was, was to get in your own car rather than carjacking someone. That actually is one of the things about Grand Theft Auto that, like, always bums me out. It's like, man, it's just so easy to hijack a car. That, like, is going to give kids an unrealistic expectation yeah, for when I mean, they start hijacking cars. You never see anybody in Grand Theft Auto <laughs> getting into the car and then adjusting the seat. Like, everyone's the same size. I guess they are with uh, limited models, but now, still. In Jack and Daxter, everyone's riding a motorcycle. Or, sorry, Jack 2. Jack 2 was the one where everybody's like, wow, you took Jack and Daxter and made it into GTA. Good job, guys. And I was like, no shit, good job, guys. This game is awesome. But the, um... Not at all what we were supposed to be talking about in this uh, podcast. The, uh... Yeah, it was. <laughs> this was my plan all along. Everybody's driving, like, flying motorcycles in that game, so... It kind of makes sense. And, and then, I like how you just suddenly, like, break the game's physics where, you know, normally you have a certain jump height. When you push the hijack a vehicle button... If there's somebody flying overhead, it doesn't matter if they're five stories up. Jack is just like, boom! Kick guy off of bike, start driving. And it's like, well, you know, that was a vehicle in motion, and not just that, but a motorcycle. It's not trivial to, you know, keep a motor... Or it is trivial, I should say, to keep a motorcycle running while also ninja-kicking its driver off. It's not like a car where, you know, you need a key to turn it on. Yeah, I thought we made it past the no-Z-access version of video games back in 1994, after Doom came out. Yeah. We just punch guys on different skyscrapers. Oh, no, that game is crammed with Z-Access. They just forgot about it when when hijacking vehicles. That actually seems like something you have to go out of your way to not do. No, it's goddamn annoying, too, no. because like, a lot of the... Re- do you want to know Do you want to know the answer here, since I've worked on video games? Have you worked on Jackson Daxer? No, but I get the idea. The, the thing is that... Um, different engine... Well, no, but it's how animation is done. So you have animations, and typically you have uh, so there's 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 two there's two pieces to an animation. There's the there's the animation like file itself, which shows how all the joints are going to bend, and then there's the inverse kinematic aspect of it that that sort of tweaks the animation, the center of mass, this, that, and the other thing. So, for instance, if you're if you have a running animation, you and you're running downhill, you don't want to like be lifting off the ground because your running animation is a straight run, right? So what you end up doing is you end up like you end up basically saying I'm going to start the animation here, I'm going to finish the animation here, and then the engine will interpolate for you all the frames staying as close to the actual motion that was originally Oh, so that's why your body stretches so much when you jump up like that. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also a very cartoony game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Guys stretch. Guys stretch like crazy in that game. But, again, the stretch is probably part of that, that inverse kinematic piece. So... What it's doing is it's just saying, okay, well, I start the animation here and I end it 50 feet in the air. Figure it out. <laughs> and that's what's happening. Yeah, that's that's actually, that actually doesn't surprise me at all. Did and they ever, just forgot to do a Z-check. Did you ever play any of the Jack and Daxter games? I guess not. You don't have PlayStation. No, you're on PlayStation 3, don't you? I watched some speedruns. Okay. The race games are boring. You can skip the um, cutscenes, though, in that game, right? Not in one. Okay. Man. I think you would like to, because I know that the drive-by joke is the highest form of humor in your pantheon, and 
Two <laughs> is cram packed with drive by jokes. The um, we went and we got a PSP back when that was a thing that kids did, and we went up there and said, "Hey, I hear PSPs are on sale." The guy at I guess GameStop said, "Yeah, and it comes with a free game." I said, "Well, what free game?" Before I get excited about, it, he said, "I think it comes with Clank like from Ratchet and Clank." He said, "Yes." I said, "That sounds awesome." He went into the back, got it, and said, "Oh, my bad. It doesn't. Uh, it does come with a free game, but it's not Clank." Oh, what is it? Daxter. Oh. I can see how you can make that mistake. Clank, Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter definitely right next to each other in my brain. Yeah. This is actually the first time a guy at a game has actually apologized to me as he sold me a product. Like, I'm sorry I got your hopes up. Instead, here's Daxter. So back to the subject at hand. Today we're going to try and tell stories about the uh, One Piece campaign, which is definitely the best campaign I've ever run. That's true. It's the best campaign he's ever run. The best campaign he's ever run that i played in. The only campaign that he's ever run that i played in. By the way, this is producer Dave Freed. Goofball, Blake Mushler. And Blake Mushler's Earth 3 uh, inverse gender clone, Blake Mushler. I should take to introducing him uh, him so that like we can get all three of our names in there. This way it makes it harder for the government to find me. So anyway, we're going to talk about the, uh, the One Piece campaign. So the basics of this campaign, the basic premise, the elevator pitch, if you will, was there's an anime uh, and manga called One Piece. It's about pirates in a... Extremely fanciful type of uh, world where it's mostly water. It has some really weird geography, which we're not going to bother explaining. Um, Read it. and uh, Watch it. Pay for it, above all. And uh, we thought it would be fun to run a D&D campaign set in the world of this story because many of the many of members of our clique were fans of the show. A lot of us got other people into it. Heiko got me into it. Or they were not very bright. Or, you know... You explained the entire plot of the series to us, and then we had no choice but to be a fan. I am known for tying people to a chair, putting on my... What's the clown from uh, Saw? Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Putting on my Jigsaw mask. Rusty. And uh, explaining the entire plot line of an epic arc, an epic form story of some kind or another to somebody from start to finish. With wild gesticulations and... Uh, we call them Blake-sticulations. Paraphrasing. Uh, we call them Blake-a-phrasing. Not to your face. So that was how One Piece got trans- transmitted to uh, many people in the store. you have something to add before you start? I don't know how I got into it. Really? I know my brother got into it before I did, like years beforehand. It is the most popular anime and manga in the world. Okay. Which is weird, because it only ranks like 12th on the completely legitimate manga sites that I read. Really? Well, it's licensed. Okay. So, on the illegitimate manga sites, it's like 12th. No one subscribes to it, because nothing happens. But on the official sites, right. it's probably pretty scary. Um, and it's super old. Like, is the manga 20? No. The so manga turned 15 when the show turned 10. I know that much. And it'll probably be... The manga will probably be able to drink before it's over. I think I estimated it. It's somewhere between another 10 and 12 years at current pace. They'll probably speed up as they go, to be fair. I'm sure at some point Oda will want to do a second thing with his life, but then maybe he won't. Eiichiro Oda is a very, very wealthy man because of One Piece. He may not want to do a second thing. Mm-hmm. We this really is like his fourth thing. He may not want to do another thing. Yeah, a fifth thing. Eiichiro Oda uh, is the author of the manga One Piece. He frequently does little uh, segments at the end of um, one of the manga issues, like where uh, fans will write in questions... And he will not at all answer their questions. Sometimes he answers them, but only for the most innocuous things. Like, what's a character's birthday? 
How tall is the character? Like, if the characters were all animals, which one would be the horse? And the answer is the musician. He's also 88 inches tall. Because there are 88 keys on a piano. He knows a lot. Is he 88 years old? Sure. Yeah, I think so. Pre-time skip. Yes. Well, pianos got bigger before the, after the time scale. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the world of One Piece. They add one key a year to every piano in the world. I want to follow the adventures of that pirate crew. <laughs> the piano key edition guys. They'd have to be government. Yeah, that sounds like, like world pirate. government, not pirate. Okay, so... The point is, One Piece means pirates, not bathing suits. Oh, yeah, the name of the show comes from uh, One Piece of Treasure. Like... So, theoretically, the biggest treasure in the world is called One Piece, because it's all was left in one piece. We're really hoping that... What is that for? Let's talk about the campaign. Sorry. A lot of times we look at things and say, hey, we could do this in a campaign, because we're um, historically stupid. Uh, like Pacific Rim, or Indiana Jones, or actually, we've seen a lot of whip wielders, so, and I've seen so many Lara Crofts, but the point is, there's a... Uh, when you get into gaming, a lot of things you look at... And you say, I want more of this, so why not play it? Run a campaign around it, design a system around it if you're sufficiently boring. For the same reason people write fanfiction. Exactly. But well, not exactly no. the same reason people write fanfiction. <laughs> exactly For the some of the same reasons, yes. And that's largely what it was. The thing was that 4th edition was big at the time. If 3rd edition was big at the time, I don't think we would have done it. No. But 4th edition was very, very good at things like One Piece, because 4th edition was a lot of, the mechanics are there to have awesome happen, and we're not too picky about how. The uh, easily ignorable paragraph of text before every power and feat well, and what I think have it goes you. deeper than that. I mean, we were talking about this, because there was still some discussion about what system to use of should you do use an anime-specific system like Big Eye Small Mouth, which I think is actually... the answer is no. No. Because Big Eye Small Mouth isn't very good. No. I'm pretty sure we settled on 4th edition real fast. I think the much harder decision was which of the two of us would run it and which of the two of us would play in it. There was a, there was a fist fight. But there, there are some compelling reasons. Like, like The way I would express this, I think, would be One Piece is a shonen anime. And so there's a few features of shonen anime, right? right uh, tropes. Tropes. One is, all problems are solved by punching. Mm-hmm. In 4th edition, all problems are solved by, pu- by punching. Punching another, and skill challenges. Okay, and skill challenges. Uh, another is that uh, everybody starts off at a roughly equivalent level of, air quotes, power, and fights guys that are just a little bit above their level of power, defeats them to gain the next level of power, wherein they meet new bad guys of coincidentally just a little bit higher than their current level and proceed in that manner until they become the most badass guys. And shonen anime, more than other types of anime, are big on the concept of Nakama. You have besties that you hang out with, like stronger-than-family connections. And 4th edition marketed entirely on never split the party because that's not what we do here. You guys are a party, you guys are besties, and you go out and you solve problems by applying your forehead to them and rotating rapidly. That's exactly what happens in shonen shows, manga... Collectible plates, but but even even more than that, every character in a, sh- in a shonen fighting anime, which One Piece is, has a specific set of techniques and a specific fighting style. Oh yeah, like pro are, wrestling. That are but that that don't have to make any sense except within the self-contained concept of that character. They have named moves, some of which they can use all the time, and some of which they only use once in a big fight. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly how fourth edition classes work. And if you can find a way to use your fighting abilities for everyday utility, great. 
Especially since 4th edition has a thing called utility powers based on whatever your core competency is. Also interesting of note that uh, we've learned that uh, most uh, shonen manga has um, a particular language besides Japanese that it prefers for the names of its special moves. One Piece is, is French. Well, One Piece is a, a, a greater than average portion of them are, are, are badly mangled French. What percentage of them are French, Haikov? Who knows that number off the top of his head or can calculate it just as quickly? Three. Really? Yes. I thought you were the one that told me everything's French. I'm a liar. Oh. Also, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. However, did I? Sanji does everything in French. Yes, because he's a French chef. Uh, Robin does everything in French. Because she's French. She's Eastern European. <laughs> because Eiichiro Oda doesn't know Russian No, actually, again If every member of the Straw Hat crew Was actually, a nationality, which one would they be? Because Luffy would be Brazilian for reasons Yeah And uh, Robin was Russian, I guess because they start and end with the same letter Oh right, I was talking about his little Things at the end There's another good one besides Oh right, uh, somebody asked if the male lead And the and the and I guess the main female character On the crew were uh having a relationship of any kind, to which Oda's response was, They're in love. With adventure! <laughs> uh, exactly they, like that. Typeset in capitals, dot, dot, dot. Another time they asked, uh, Hey, this one guy has a move where he sets his foot on fire by spinning rapidly to increase his temperature through friction, and then kicks guys and does fire damage on top of his regular kicking damage. Another 4th edition, uh, like, another way that it slotted into 4th edition nicely. And this is really common for Shonen shows, but for some reason someone decided to ask Oda, but why doesn't he burn himself? And the answer to that one was... Because his heart burns hotter. This is the amorous character who always has hearts coming out of his eyes for the female characters. And it's things like this that made it fit with exactly the kind of wackiness that 4th edition was. Yeah, the, the flavor of the campaign, the mood of the campaign, we knew exactly what we were getting as soon as we came in. And it played out really well. We had a really great cast of characters. We started off with five, four. Four for one session, right. one or two sessions, and then the fifth joined shortly thereafter. Right. Um, and each person... Then it was six, then it was five, then it was six or seven, then it briefly became two, then it went up to four, then it went up to five, no, then it, it stayed at four for a while, I don't think for, we ever for did about get... four seconds, then it went to eight, then it became ten, and then it went around thirteen and the campaign ended. That's characters, not players. But anyway, the uh, we'll get to that one later, I guess. If later even occurs. Uh, this is one of the, You always tell that story about how you were really proud of that time you asked your party to uh, describe all their characters and nobody mentioned race or class. Because that's what grown-ups do. Descri- Point at microphone. <laughs> Describing the uh, party from the, the beginning of One Piece, we had a... Uh, Cannon with the power to transform into an eight-year-old boy. No, not the other way around. We had uh, the love child of an ocelot fisherman and Bruce Campbell. Jamaican tentacle vampire nurse. Yeah, doctor. Okay. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) She went to medical school for... She went to tentacle medical school. (laughs) Yeah. Vampire medical school? Tentacular. That's actually a word. It really is. It means uh, as great as a perfect ten. Okay. I'm a liar. Thought... Oh. <laughs> Stop fooling me with your lies. Stop believing me. I will as soon as I can. We had a... An, uh, and there was you. Seven foot tall robot. Well, guy in a Mark I Iron Man suit, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice and clunky. 
All right, with proximity mines. Ah, I love those proximity mines. He would stick proximity mines to his enemies and then take several steps back and point at them and say, Hey, don't hurt my friends or I'll set off those proximity mines I stuck to you. And by that I mean hurt my friends so I have an excuse to set off those proximity <laughs> mines I stuck to you. <laughs> I remember my, my, my bad guys oscillated in and out of being smart enough to fall for your bullshit or, or too smart to fall for your bullshit. And I remember that your satisfaction was basically inversely proportional to the intelligence of the uh, enemies you guys had to fight. Who started off fairly uncreative, but I feel like I got some more interesting stuff going as the campaign aged. As we found more minis. We fought a lot of marines at the beginning. As you do. Yeah, well, One Piece guys do fight marines. Marines and other pirates. Marines, in the case of their show, actually means more like the navy. It's a little bit fuzzy. There's a Japanese translation thing going on there. No. No, that's right. I guess they do have it written. They in say marine, yes, really, right on the on the ships. But do they on say the do they say the Japanese word for marine in the in the? Oh, you line? know, I actually no, I they could say look it, it verbally. It doesn't matter. And this was so what? This was all possible through the magic of reskinning. So, for example, the uh, the cannon was a child who could transform his whole body or parts of his body into a cannon via the magic of stuff happening in One Piece. This was expressed mechanically through a halfling rogue. Halfling, making him short, like a child. And Rogue, making him hard, like a cannon. Do obscene amounts of damage. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Like, like a, a cannon. cannon. Like, striker. But then we had really cool stuff in it. Like, for example, can uh, Rogues have this utility power. Or, actually, I guess it wasn't even the utility power. It was just, just having high acrobatics. It. Yeah. Yeah, he had a really high acrobatics score as a Rogue, so he could jump off of a high platform and land without taking any falling damage. The way we expressed this in terms of the storyline is he would jump over a banister, transform into a cannon, fall to the ground, create a monstrous divot, but be otherwise unharmed due to his, you know, iron body, and then transform back into a boy and walk away. And eventually he started, like, I remember he could jump by turning his feet into cannons and fire. Jump he could high. He could lockpick by turning one finger into a cannon, inserting into a keyhole and firing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he would have, like... Rogues have, uh, he was obviously a, ro- a ranged rogue based on, I want to say, crossbow. Uh, so rogues have some kind of daily power where it's like, I fire my crossbow. Like a million times. So then we were like, finger one, finger two, finger three, finger four. Whole hand. Whole body. <laughs> That's one thing I liked about the, about fourth edition is that it had an escalation. Third isn't very good at this. No. It's better if you try or if you have giant enemy crab syndrome and you just don't feel like using your fifth level spells. But fourth has a specific subset of at will powers that you can use at will. Encounter powers you can use once per encounter. Daily powers you can use once per day. So a, uh, a player who has no respect for the setting will start their day by using all their daily powers because otherwise they won't get to. But in One Piece we tended to save the daily powers for when we strictly needed them and it made that strong hierarchy. He would only use his whole uh, body into a cannon power during a, a scary mother fight. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fifth member of the party to join which was uh, <laughs> yeah, James. Uh, Balder D. Ash. It spells Balderdash. Yeah. Look it up! The... Um, Guys with uh, the middle initial D are a thing in One Piece. We're pretty sure that it was like explicitly uh, that he had made that up, that he had heard, oh, I heard people with D as their middle initial are super special. I want to be super special, so I'll change my name to Balder D. Ash. And we just called him Ash. But he was uh, he was something else. He was modeled after uh, John Morrison, 
professional wrestler with bedazzled abs. I remember we had this great photo. He only used them once. Really? Stunned oh, all the bad guys. Oh, <laughs> dazed was... all the good guys. This character was a euphemancer. He generated his power from two crystal balls. One in each hand. That he sometimes wielded with the help of his six-foot uh, wooden shaft, a quarter staff, carried by his... Uh, assistant. Assistant Kaku. And let's not forget his familiar trouser snake named Willie. He had yeah. a theme. Yeah. He would actually pull down... He would, like, unzip his pants for the snake to pop out to cause him to suddenly gain combat advantage on an adjacent enemy. That was all that Willie did. That's that true. Was, that was 100% of that snake's functionality. But it did the job. It was a good use of that guy. And then, uh... Oh, right. He was a tiefling. Yep. I remember that. But I guess it just, like, had the right ability Sion, score. Right. Tiefling yeah, Sion. tiefling scion. He had the right ability, <laughs> the right ability score, um... Matrix for the class that he wanted to use. Since in One Piece, pretty much everybody is a human or a humanoid type thing. Sometimes they have giants. Sometimes yes. they have fish people who are like humans that are scaly and can breathe underwater. Tieflings are int charisma, and a telepathic scion is in primary charisma secondary. Mm. So we just let the players pick whatever race they wanted, and they just skinned it in. Like, uh, what was Warren? I was a Ganassi. Yeah, the, the robot guy was a Ganassi, so you could have a swim speed, right? Because I, I'm a robot. Why can't I just have oxygen tanks and swim other water? I just need some way to get the mechanics I want to express. My you also, didn't you choose the somewhat suboptimal uh, idea of being strength and int despite being a paladin? Or did you actually go charisma? Ganassi or strength and int. Yeah. But I went strength and charisma. Oh, okay. So it was somewhat suboptimal in that I didn't play a dragonborn. Right. But, it, but I wanted it to do. Right. Okay. Fair enough. My my vampire blood sucking vampire tentacle monster creature was a human cleric. <laughs> her hair turned into tentacles. We want to make this clear. And yes. uh, her cleric healing power, because remember, in fourth edition, anytime you're not punching the bad guys, that's you know you're wasting a turn. Yeah. Suboptimal play. So uh, a blog post about this eventually. <laughs> yeah. So so like cleric healing is usually you summon divine light to punch a bad guy in the face and make one of your allies get better. We suppose. Yeah. So what Ophelia did was run up and uh, Ophelia strong no, run up, name. Run up, fire a tentacle hiding behind the robot. Typically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reach around with her little tentacle, siphon some blood out of a bad guy. The tentacles had like little remora mouths at the end. It was pretty squicky, and then uh, inject that, that blood with another tentacle <laughs> into one of her allies, which you know having blood injected into you causes healing. This is One Piece canon, man. We had a... That campaign had a dude, a cat, and two things made of metal. And blood fixed us. Hold on. So uh, getting back to... Uh, right, yeah. So Ophelia siphon blood, injected into other guys, blood somehow heals you, but you have to have the same blood type. The blood type's in... Uh, she filters it in her brain. Yeah, the yep. blood type's in... High, in That's uh, what we decided it was. The blood types in one piece include type F. And, of course, duck. Yeah. Did somebody actually have blood type duck? No, that's from Final Fantasy VI. The okay. other thing that... <laughs> Dark sauce, maybe. The other thing that Ophelia could do was blood wasn't the only thing Ophelia could uh, siphon. Um, one of several of her attacks involved her drawing up some sort of flammable liquid spring at bad guys, and she had a lighter on the end of her staff. Because clerics have fire for reasons. Yeah. Well, actually, clerics do divine damage or radiant, radiant damage type, which you could downgrade to fire. No, as this was this was actually fire. You're ruining my version of the story, Dave, with your truth. 
This was actually a problem that I think Dave and I had at a couple of points. We looked at all of our powers for the next level and went, none of these work with my reskin. And we had to have creative ways to do it. Like, I'm sure Dave did not sit there and think, I want a vampire tentacle nurse who's also a hard drinker. No, that's just something that happened. You know what's funny? I saw the powers and in me, like, oh crap, I can totally do that. So it actually wasn't that it was nothing okay. to do with a character concept. The, that the, was just me. The, the, yeah, yeah. No, and, and at higher levels, there's a few. Uh, there's a few things that were problematic, but the necrotic damage that she did was right. a reskin, where right. you could step down your damage type. And it was funny because it went from all the way at the top to all the way yeah, at the bottom. Radiant might be the best damage type in D and D. It is not in the One Piece world. That's that's very true. But w- this is a good story, though, that came out of this campaign. Our hierarchy of fourth edition damage types. We um, we we knew quite right away that the whole reskinning thing, like having everything work mechanically identical, was going to leave us somewhat restrained because, like, a power will do cold damage or fire damage or what have you, and, and coming up with an excuse for a power to do a specific type of damage was sometimes going to be too constraining than uh, if you could just pick whatever damage type you wanted. But if you could just pick whatever damage type you wanted, we were a little bit concerned because there is an element of power balance to the 4th edition damage types. Some damage types in 4th edition are, are just better than others. I mean, it's clear that certain things are given priority um, as, a, as a damage type that's, you know, more likely, enemies are more likely to be vulnerable to, less likely to be resistant to. I actually sat down and started figuring this out, going through every creature in the Monster Manual to figure out where its resistances, vulnerabilities, and immunities were, until I realized that was incredibly stupid, because nobody runs with every creature in the Monster Manual, so instead we just had a survey. Furthermore, I'm known for my uh, spreadsheet that I wrote, wherein you could give the type line at the top of a D&D monster, like level 7 Brute, or uh, level 4 Elite Skirmisher, and the entire set of monster stats would be automatically generated by that spreadsheet. I sat down and did that for Delve Knight. So, of course, once I had that in hand, I could make a monster in, like, two minutes. That did pretty much anything you wanted it to yeah. do. Yeah, so, so I pretty much stopped using monster manuals at that point, just made the monsters I need as I needed them. Uh, I, I made monsters on the live a couple of times you did. during that campaign. I wish I could say it was less obvious than it was. The... Uh, Anyway, so we passed around the survey to everybody. We're like, hey, rate the 10 energy damage types in 4th edition D&D. And we got some hilarious results. Man, do not get me started. Unless you want me to go. We, have, we asked everybody at the beginning of the campaign. And we asked everybody a little later uh, what, how, how they rank these things. Some people change their minds a couple of times, especially around the middle where it gets kind of nebulous. You say, okay, necrotic's at the bottom because so much is immune to it. Poison is right above it. Or maybe they're switched. Raging is at the top, then force. But in the middle, which is really better? Acid or lightning or psychic? It's a little vague. Uh, But we did have one person who did a complete flip-flop where before the campaign, they said, oh, definitely, fire and cold are way down at the bottom. Right. Dead last, in fact. And then later, when we went and asked, this person put them somewhere up around 7 and 8. And I sit there and I went, what is the flip-flop? Ah, when we asked the first time, they were playing a fire and cold-based sorcerer in my campaign. When I'm using it, it's not weak. Now that I'm... When you're using it, it is weak. Right, thank you. When I'm using it, it is weak. Now that I don't have to make it seem like I'm not the most powerful person in the room, I'm going to put it where it belongs. 
The, uh... Thanks. We ended up putting, uh... Well, anyway, so, so like, we decided that the blood loss damage would be necrotic. It wasn't a great fit for anything. We could have made it piercing. We added piercing, bludgeoning, and slashing, which 4th edition does not have. But One Piece Super has. It's easy enough to do. Yeah. And simple, simple, uh... Usually it's pretty simple to tell what kind of damage something does. Except for some reason in One Piece, bullets do bludgeoning. It's extremely explicit from, like, episode one. Bullets do bludgeoning. So that was just one of the things we had to work our way around. I remember when, like, our sniper in the party towards the end wanted to get, like, flechette rounds so that she could have some excuse to do slashing or piercing with her sniper rifle instead of bludgeoning. Because if you look at, like, what resists bludgeoning versus what is vulnerable to bludgeoning... A lot of times you're like, well, you know, this is vul- this is vulnerable to bludgeoning because it's, I don't know, brittle, uh, some kind of yeah. crystalline monster. Or this is resistant to uh, bludgeoning because it's sort of a soft guy that, you know... It's the Michelin Man. Yeah. And it's just like, well, this is a sniper rifle. I have like a thousand feet of range. I, you know, can... I take the Coriolis into effect or into consideration when aiming at somebody and yet... If I shot Monkey D. Luffy, Rubber Man, it would bounce off of him and probably come all the way back at me. Because that's how momentum works, yeah. Some damn how. Anyway. <laughs> momentum increases as things get farther away. True facts. So, we, you know, we had to reskin... Uh, you could reskin the type of damage you dealt, but you couldn't reskin the type of damage you resist. So, for example, as the Ganassi, what were you resisting? The cold, maybe? Force. Are Ganassi resistant to force? Really? I know that I know that we made water do force damage in the One Piece campaign. No, I wasn't making that up. I don't remember. Okay. Damn it. That would have been so awesome if that were true. I think I actually was, but I can't confirm it. You might have done something to get that resistance to force specifically because you're like, I'm the waterproof guy in the party. I have the, the scuba suit and the little, like, mm. turbo uh, turbine. Yeah, the putter around in the water. Um, so... Uh, Balder D. Ash, as a tiefling, resisted fire. And we're like, well, why does the abs guy with, like, the perfect blonde, like, perm, resi- you know, and the, and the penis theme, resist fire? Isn't it obvious? Gonorrhea. <laughs> because his crotch burns hotter. So, um, yeah, that, we, we had the five people for a while. We, had to, we sweat one player who had to go uh, to war in Afghanistan. We, uh, that was the cat guy who was, uh... Luckily, one of our strikers. Yeah. Because... The most essential role and the least essential role. <laughs> Everybody wanted to be one, so it was easy to find one. Whenever somebody new joined, we were like, oh, time for another striker, I guess, apparently. Doing damage is fun. We had this problem in Delve Night. Everybody wanted to be a striker. Nobody wanted to do the hard work of being the defender. Or worse yet, the leader. Mm. A.K.A. healer. I know that you have plenty of stories about that. The, uh... So, th- he had a bunch of good reskin stuff, like uh, all that electric damage he did. He was a... Ocelot Fisherman. Yeah, but what was his... What was oh, he was a... Subs- I don't know what race he was. He was an Avenger, wasn't he? Avenger. An yeah. Avenger is the class of Roroni Kenshin. And we managed to make it Bruce Campbell. So, that is a wide Venn diagram. Yeah, it was no mean feat, I guess. The, um... He was always doing electric damage to people, which he did by, like, shuffling his feet along the ground and generating static electricity with his ocelot fur. 
One of the other things One Piece has is uh, one of the characters in One Piece, the French chef, has this tendency to just be where he needs to be when he needs to be there. They're like, come up to this locked door and be like, oh crap, we need to get through this locked door like right freaking now. And then he'll just have been on the other side of the door and they're like, oh hey, yeah, you disappeared mysteriously two issues ago. And he's like, yeah, I got lost, but don't worry, I happen to find, my, find myself to the other side of this door where I will now unlock it and open it for you. And this, had, this became like a theme of that guy. So that's what uh, we skinned uh, the Avenger teleport power as. He, it's not that he actually teleported, he just happened to be there. <laughs> it's like, I thought you were just over there a second ago. Well, now I'm here, and that's your problem. You'll notice a lot of comedy-based reskins, and that's intentional. Oh, One, One Piece is fighting first, comedy second, uh, literacy third. Is it is it fighting first? It could be comedy first. Hoppy. Hoppy? I read Dave's blog. Ichiro Oda loves puns. The the Harpy character has a t shirt that says happy. Uh-huh. But in both English and Japanese they're only one letter apart. And she's never identified as a harpy. Right. In the show. Right, right. She just has the t shirt. And both words are kind of pronounced the same way in Japanese as happy. Yeah. Right. So anyway. We we event so we sweat a pl- we sweat a player and that was I guess shortly thereafter your wife joined right nope no really nope. You just soldiered on with four for a while yep not long oh Will Will I ought to remember Will I was in his wedding <laughs> <laughs> you were the best man yes well you know he doesn't have that good a set of men the uh... apologies to everyone Will knows. <laughs> The uh, yeah, I guess that uh, that's true. I was inadvertently insulting a bunch of other people. Cut that part out. The um, believe the explanation. <laughs> the the uh, what was funny that happened there? Oh right, I remember we introduced him as uh, horse raper, the horse raper, horse raper. That might be too hot for TV too. <laughs> we should leave that off. Well, there were two prisoners. Right, one was horse raper, the horse raper, horse raper. The other was bison, two legs. Bison, two legs. Known for his two-legged style. Strong, giant Russian tango master. <laughs> With British orphan. From Britain. It's in setting. Is it? No. Okay. <laughs> You're stupid. <laughs> they certainly have guys... I got most of my Russian accent from Moose and Squirrel, so... Yeah. Well, that was probably where we all got our bad Russian accent. That was really cool. fun, though. I loved his, I loved his, uh, his two-legged style. He had, like, moves like two-legged punch... Two-legged headbutt. <laughs> Third leg, fourth leg, yeah. fifth leg. Well, that was much, much later. It was. That was, a, that was a good one, though, where he ran over there. Third leg, fourth leg. Those were all his. 87th uh, leg. <laughs> Eventually, he got a last leg. Yeah, last leg. That was, uh, that was a, uh, a healing power, right? No, that's when he goes down, he punches you one last time. Right, right. It was the Minotaur racial power. Something when you, like that. Yeah, when you go to zero, you kick somebody. I do want to point out, we t- you talk about this character's legs. He damaged people by punching them while holding steer horns. <laughs> Nobody knows what this guy actually did. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it really doesn't. He I mean, also that- had a giant bag that he had everything in. Yeah, he had a bag of holding. It was sort of... At first... Doors, desks, nurses, supplies, school supplies. There was a secretary. He stole somebody's secretary, and she hung out in that bag for a long time, though I think that she eventually, like, escaped before you guys went to the afterlife. Yep. I want to say at one point he sprung one of the women he'd kidnapped out of the sack as a mid-combat distraction. (laughs) Like, surprise! He's nurse! (laughs) 
You that didn't was... expect that, did you? Falling pit. No? Okay. <laughs> the, um... So we went along that way for a little while, and there were ups and there were downs. Uh, there was an island of cyclopses that had, like, weird depth perception qualities. And I remember you guys restored the ability to perceive depth to the island, causing all the cyclopses to, like... Effectively be blind. Yeah, stumble around and become sad. Um, you spent some time at, like, the marine... Uh, vacation vacation island, yeah, where we got to have our, our our shonen fighting tournament. You got to have an organized tournament at some point in a shonen manga. It's true, uh, and that was when I did that. I remember you saying, "Unless you're JoJo, really, JoJo yep. never had a tournament." In all the JoJo, they never had a tournament. I haven't read part eight yet, but not in one through seven. That's monstrous. That's mind boggling, isn't it? Yeah. At one point, they actually fought in the Colosseum. Well, you know, it is JoJo. They do make a they do make a habit of going outside the box. Spoilers for part seven: the MacGuffin is the corpse of Jesus. So anyway, the uh, they had this boxing tournament, and it was you know billed as a boxing tournament where there was like you know a bracket, and people were supposed to go in there. This was a handy way to introduce Heiko's second character because at the time there was some complaining. I don't, you know, my memory of uh, is almost certainly inaccurate, but I remember you as being unhappy with your main character, and you had this alt character that you'd built that you really wanted to use, so I, like, decided, okay, I'll write your old character out and your new character in. Which one I probably went, wait, what? What were you, what, 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 what was supposed to happen there? I don't remember. Well, his, his new character was very similar. It was still a person in mech armor, but it was a woman... And it was, in fact, his first character's fiance. So he was his own fiance. Uh, I'm fine with flirting with myself, just not with Blake. Yeah, she had a boxing theme, though. Her big thing was she had kind of boxing glove-like robot punching arms, and did a lot of boxing-based moves like the Dempsey roll. Uh, what else did you? I've have? read a lot of Hajime no Ippo. I remember uh, I made that you... series also doesn't have a tournament arc. Oh wait, no, it has three. Oh, <laughs> the uh, my bad. <laughs> that was Tomiko, aka Ensign Everglade, aka the Pink Knight, uh, and she was basically her armor was modeled off Nene from Bubblegum Crisis. I actually made a custom mini for Heiko of like I sculpted virtually from scratch out of putty, but that is a damn good looking mini for. Here it is for all of those of you on the podcast. Here's mind, a picture of it. I actually wouldn't mind getting a lineup of, of all of our minis from the, the One Piece campaign, and we can take a picture and put it on the website as mm. part of the. You should show also notes. get the original, not the second one, mm. but the original, um, the original group shot that Heiko had commissioned. Yes, I'll that, that real we got that somewhere. Yeah, the second one wasn't. We can even put them all on the boat that you built. As a set piece. And the boat is kind of ugly looking. Whatever. Anyway, the, well, it slowly uh, gets worse over time as more and more people brush against it but I remember when the when, when you specifically were like because uh, you know you were playing punching girl and I was like hey wait a minute is it cool for me to be wearing this like mech armor that explicitly increases the power of my punches in this boxing tournament to which I replied you know one of the guys in this tournament is just straight robot that guy was terrifying that was uh, punched people's heads off yeah major onyx yep just punched people's heads off like literally flying and across the room him. so when I was like wow so so I can just do all my like broke stuff here and it's like yeah you know it's one piece Generally speaking, I mean, heck, the main character of One Piece, when people ask him, you know, what his fighting style is, he says, well, I don't use weapons. And it's just, okay. Some guys use swords, some guys don't. In the world of One Piece, it's not necessarily a distinct advantage to have a sword. You can be deprived of a sword. The tournament arc was fun at, at a couple of points. Uh, one, because Blake got to create 31 
Puns on colors. Yeah. The 32nd character was Bison Two Legs. <laughs> Violet Johansson. But there was the a cap- animal. But there was this Captain Scarlet, which got confusing. Yeah. Yes, Captain Scarlet and Violet Johansson maybe were a poor choice to throw them both in there. Maybe they were a poor choice to be recurring characters, too. They were. This wasn't just a one-off thing. They just kept appearing in the same room. Yeah, you know, I, I don't feel too bad Scarlet about that. Scarlet Johansson, uh, Captain Violet, yeah. Uh, second, because my character was in the tournament, so was Will's character. And there is no point in a tournament where the number two and number three seed uh, join to form Voltron. So at one point, we ran into each other. It was the... I want to say it was the third or fourth round? That's right. She was at the bottom of the left bracket and Bison was at the top. So it actually was probably the semifinal. So in the quarterfinals, I think I won by dealing 200 damage in one turn. I was a defender. Yeah, that's just the... So Tomoko... Because um, I remember... Battlemind... Some, what's the race? Battlemind... Uh, Dragonborn Battlemind Rogue. Okay. Because my Paragon path was jack of all trades. Because I wanted trained in as many skills as possible. Mm-hmm. She was very sciencey. I just remember Will looking at me going, Heiko, you do 200 damage in one round. I can just forfeit. It's okay. Well, I remember you beat him once by making him fall down three times. It was like three falls you lose. Yep, that's a TKO. Yeah, technical knockout. Which mm-hmm. is just like, I have a move that knocks prone. Bap. Okay, next round I stand up. Bap. I stand up again. Bap. I Actually, win. round three I missed. It took four rounds. Oh, okay. Bison was not easy to miss. He had low defense. Yet I managed. He was sort of an HP tank. Well, you know, you're special that way. Oh, man, that was the other thing. I remember the, the Dempsey roll, because it was four attacks. He'd roll four dice, and there was, like, some special quality if you hit with at least two of them. Not prone. You can guess how often that happened. Anyway, the... That uh, character was fun, because every hit dealt six damage. Yeah, right. There was no, there was no randomization. It was just hard-coded. Correct. It did charisma modifier damage. Unless I got bloodied. Then I got an extra die. But since I'm rolling damage now, I get my damage roll modifiers. Oh, and if I manage to hit a guy with this power, I can go in one turn, as long as I'm bloody, from dealing 6 damage per punch to 4d6 plus 10 per punch. That was where the 200 damage came from. This is an exploit, the exact kind of thing that 4th edition is designed to have not happen. Ladies. But it, you know... Oh, actually, we'll get to the ladies later. Yeah, it was pretty freaking (laughs) awesome. What was... Who did ladies all the time in that game? Me. Right! Well, I was one of the personalities <laughs> That's in... That's the uh, story. Oh, right, well. Now's a good time for a commercial break. What personalities are we talking about? Tune in after a word from these sponsors. Dave, say something. This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com I podcast Magic Missile. Attacking the darkness since 2012. <laughs> Um, let's do it to the beat. Anyway, going back to what I was saying. 